0: You know those times when you're walking near dusk or maybe you enter a creepy attic for the first time and the hair on the back of your neck starts to raise and your heart rate starts to patter? You stop moving, you look around, listen harder for a sec, and you know nothing's going to happen, but you also feel kind of like something might happen? You think something's out there, even though you know you can see there is not. Most of us have those moments. Those times where we know something isn't rational or real, but... Welcome to Strange and Unexplained. I'm your host, Daisy Egan. Each week, we explore a story that makes us wonder how much we really know about the world around us. It's like the X-Files, but it passes the Bechtel test. This week, Bigfoot. The myth the legend, the stinking ape that haunts people the world over even while the government tells us she doesn't exist. When I was 14, I did Outward Bound, which, for those of you who don't know, is an outdoor adventure program for teens and adults to build character and learn to believe in themselves or something. Clearly, it didn't work, as here at 41, I believe in myself about as much as I did when I was 14, which is to say, not much. Just kidding you guys, I 100% believe in myself. I've met me. I know I exist. One of the challenges of Outward Bound is a three-day, two-night solo in which you are dropped in the middle of the woods with nothing but a tarp, a sleeping bag, and a bag of trail mix. It's your choice if you get naked, but you sure as shit are afraid. On the first night of my solo excursion alone in the woods of the Sierra Nevada mountains, I woke up to the sound of something very close to my head, just outside my tarp. In that moment, I was confident of two things. One, there was a monster a few feet away from me. And two, I was about to die. Full of fear of the huge and vicious thing outside my tent, I reached for the only thing I had my flashlight. Sure that this would be the last doomed act of my life, I clicked on the flashlight and waved it around wildly. I did this for maybe a full 30 seconds. When it turned out I was still alive, I opened my eyes to see what it was a single white tailed deer. It didn't even flinch. She just kept eating the grass two feet away from me. What made me so certain it was something huge and sinister? I had been camping many times before and had not once encountered a Bigfoot or a werewolf. I never even had a run-in with a bear. But in that moment, before I flashed the light, I was 100% confident it was a monster. The woods are a scary place. The imagination can be scarier. And still, all this time later, I can remember how sure I was that something, something big, was out there. Part of me still thinks it was. In late October 2012, an avid hunter, hiker, and self-described all-around outdoorsman—we'll call him Bob—went on a solo camping trip in Spearfish Canyon in the Black Hills of South Dakota. When he got back, Bob recounted the following story. So unless Bob is a big ol' liar, this is a true story. The area Bob picked to go camping isn't an area where most people camp. In fact, Bob ignored a no trespassing sign and climbed a fence to get to it. Suffice to say, Bob is a white guy. With the sense that all the world was his proverbial oyster, Bob hopped that fence and was using an animal trail to make his way up the mountain until he came across an old, disused logging trail and followed it to find a place to camp for the night. If this were a horror film, I'd be screaming at Bob to turn around and go home right about now. In the beginning of Human Centipede, when the girl's car breaks down on a country road somewhere in the woods of Germany, rather than walk back up the road they drove down, they walk into the woods. How did they not expect to have their mouths sewn onto someone else's butthole? You never walk into the woods, and you should never climb a fence that says no trespassing. It was so uncommon for hikers to camp overnight in this area that not long after Bob settled into his tent, his cell phone rang, which honestly is amazing. There are spots in my own apartment that don't get reception, but somehow, miraculously, Bob had cell service. It was a police officer from the Spearfish Sheriff's Department. Bob's car had been spotted at the trailhead, and police were so concerned when he hadn't returned by nightfall that they almost sent a search party to find him. All of this is to say Bob was alone out in those woods. The chances another camper was anywhere in the vicinity are extremely low. Now, for me, the thought of being completely alone in the backwoods of South Dakota sounds like an absolute fucking nightmare. But not to all-around outdoorsman Bob. Bob nestled into his tent to go to sleep. However, as he later recounted, sleep would prove elusive. It was 11 p.m. when it all started.
1: First I heard what sounded like a bird whistling a short tune a couple of feet to the east of me, but it sounded more like a person. Uh, A second after that, what sounded like a tree trunk hitting another tree trunk came uh, not too far away from my tent to the south. And 15 seconds after that, something on two feet started walking toward my tent. The steps were slow, long, and heavy.
0: At this point, the only logical thing to do would be to scream, claim that you have a gun, and start running around your tent like a lunatic. Is this what Bob did? Nope.
1: All I could hear was the steps, and then came the skunky, trashy smell that almost burns the nostrils. I sat up in my tent, drew my hunting knife, And I screamed at the top of my lungs all the profanity I could muster at whatever had approached my tent.
0: It's about fucking time, Bob.
1: The scariest part was it stopped for a second and continued with its long, slow, heavy stride beside my tent and headed in the direction of the tree noise heard earlier. It made no other noises, but the smell lingered for a good 15 minutes as I laid in my tent, quivering.
0: Bob called the sheriff, again, with the amazing cell service, and explained what he had just experienced. They both agreed it sounded like nothing either of them had ever encountered before. And keep in mind, to be a police officer in the Black Hills of South Dakota, you need to be familiar with nature. This isn't like... Officer Mangione in Forest Hills, Queens, whose beat includes the number seven train. You know what I mean? I'm guessing being a police officer in the Black Hills of South Dakota involves frequently riding out into the woods with a shotgun and tranquilizer darts.
1: They then asked me if I was planning on coming back down that night. Uh, I made the decision to stick it out, since I didn't want to be stumbling around in the darkness with whatever was out there probably not too far away.
0: You think, Bob? You think? Bob passed out after talking to the sheriff. And listen, we all have different reactions to stress. I get it. But there is no way I would have been able to sleep after that. I would have stayed up all night crying and praying to whatever would listen to forgive me for all the stupid things I had done in my life. Not least of which was climbing that goddamn fence and hiking into the woods alone. But Bob took a snooze. He woke up around 2 a.m. to more loud tree knocking. But now there was also terrifying whooping sounds that seemed to come from all around him.
1: I laid there in the thick of it, not having ever experienced anything like this, shaking in my sleeping bag with my sorry excuse for a hunting knife. I can truly say I've never been that scared in my life. At this point, I accepted my fate and was... (laughs) Comfortable with the thought of death, as I didn't know the intentions of these creatures. I look back and laugh at the thoughts I had.
0: Do you? Do you laugh, Bob? Look, it's one thing to accept that you're going to die. It's another to be like, oh well, I guess some massive, bipedal, trash-stinking monster was going to murder and eat me. (laughs) Funny when that almost happened. Bob continued...
1: These literal monkey-like whoops continued for about 15 minutes, and I didn't think of recording it due to my paralyzing fear. Each whoop sounded different depending on the area it was coming from and would differ in length and strength.
0: Okay, so as a skeptic, I think it's a little interesting that Bob here in the middle of his story would explain why he hadn't recorded the encounter It feels like an over-explanation or a way of deflecting questions about his totally bonkers story before anyone can even ask. But setting that aside for the moment, I'll accept Bob's story as truth. And therefore, I have to say, Bob, you didn't think about filming it? Even the Blair Witch Kids could manage to film in the middle of that fiasco. By the way, when I tell you I'm a skeptic, also please believe that I bought into the Blair Witch hype completely and thought it was an actual documentary. So, I may be a skeptic, but I can also be pretty stupid.
1: As soon as the hint of light crept over the trees, I slowly unzipped my tent to find not a single sign of whatever had been there the previous night. Of course, I didn't know what to look for at the time, I... Quickly packed everything up and hiked out the same way I came.
0: And that was, by Bob's telling, his first encounter with a Bigfoot or two. Now, listen, before researching this episode, I didn't know that Big Feet allegedly the correct term is Bigfoots, but until someone shows me an actual Bigfoot, I'm sticking with Big Feet. I didn't know that Big Feet like to knock on trees, or that they whooped, or that they stank. I didn't really know anything about Big Feet. But that doesn't mean that if I had been Bob, I wouldn't have been 100% convinced that what I had heard was absolutely Bigfoot. And I would have known to look for massive tracks. Not that I would have looked for tracks, I would have been out of there faster than you can say Sasquatch, but I would have known that a person with a stronger constitution than I would look for tracks. Anyway.
1: Before I left that offshoot trail, I turned around and said thank you, and bowed, in case something or someone was listening. I wanted to let it know I was grateful, even though I wouldn't understand. Wow, one
0: near-death experience with a mythical monster and everyone's a zen guru, am I right? Also, way to neg while offering gratitude. Why wouldn't it understand bowing? Bowing in respect is pretty universal, Bob.
1: I never was into Bigfoot before, but ever since then, I go into the woods with a different level of respect.
0: Bob made this colorful report to the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, or the BFRO. So he either had some idea that what was in the woods that night was Bigfoot, or he told the story to enough of his friends and they were like, girl, that was Bigfoot. But Bigfoot doesn't exist, right? We are reasonable, rational people who don't believe in Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster, right? Right. So then what was it? Bob claimed he didn't believe in or know much about Bigfoot before that night, and he claimed that he didn't know what signs to look for the morning after the ordeal. If he was telling the truth and didn't know Bigfoot allegedly communicate through whoops and tree knocking or that they stink, how would he have known to include those in his story? I guess he could have looked it up after the fact, but honestly, why? And... Also, can't you do better? It seems to me if you're gonna make up a Bigfoot encounter, you might as well go the whole way and claim that you saw the damn thing. Fame is an unlikely motivation too. The BFRO has lots of reported Bigfoot encounters on its website, and very few of those encounters end up on the news. So it's not like claiming you had a Bigfoot encounter with absolutely zero physical evidence is gonna get you anything. You're much more likely to get ridiculed than praised when you claim Bigfoot stalked you in the woods. Usually, it's best to keep quiet about these kinds of things. Even if Bob had managed to get the creature he heard caught on camera, there would still be deniers, disbelievers, and debunkers ready to pick apart every frame of the footage and point out the lie. That's what people have been trying to do for six decades with the infamous Bigfoot footage taken in the woods of Northern California in 1967. Which brings us to our second story for this week's episode. One half of the duo who captured that Bigfoot footage was Bob Gimlin. Different Bob. This time it's not a pseudonym. And yes, I could have named the other guy something else, but Bob is such a goofy word. I like to use it whenever I can. No offense to people named Bob, although in some ways it's like men choosing to go by the name Dick. Like, you have plenty of other options, Richard. No one knows more about the ridicule and mockery that comes from believing in Bigfoot than Bob Gimlin. Even with the footage, going public about the encounter almost ruined Bob Gimlin's life. By now, we've all seen this footage. I'm 100% confident if you're listening to this podcast about strange and unexplained phenomenon, you have. The film is super shaky and grainy. It apparently shows a really tall, bipedal, ape like creature walking away from the camera. She's not running, but it does look like she wants to be somewhere else pretty quick. At one point, she turns and looks back at the camera. If you've only ever seen a still from this footage, that's the still you've seen. This animal looking over her right shoulder as she continues loping into the woods. The whole thing lasts less than a minute, but as Kim Kardashian knows, it only takes a few minutes of shaky footage to skyrocket you to fame. The story goes that just after Labor Day of 1967, Roger Patterson heard people were finding Bigfoot tracks in Northern California. Roger had already self-published a book called Do Abominable Snowmen of America Really Exist? He was already a Bigfoot believer. He asked his friend, Bob Gimlin, to take him to Northern California so he could see the Bigfoot tracks for himself. First, and I think foremost, is that Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin were cowboys. As in, breaking horses, a term I find utterly nauseating, roping cattle, and competing in actual rodeos. Roger was barely scraping by when he supposedly captured the footage of a real-life Bigfoot. He was working as a freelance ranch hand, scooping cow shit and herding stray cattle here and there. When he did ride the rodeo, the money he made was just about enough to get him set up for the next rodeo. I guess it's like being in the pageant circuit. You have to just keep spending more and more money with each competition to up your game. Now, Bob didn't believe in Bigfoot, but... I suppose he was game for a road trip. Why not? So Roger and Bob headed to Northern California with a camera and a few horses. By the time they got to the area where the tracks had supposedly been, they were gone. So the two men headed up into the woods following a logging trail. They spent weeks in the woods of Northern California trying to spot the elusive creature, which sounds like an absolute nightmare to me, but I guess for authentic cowboys, a few weeks in the woods is par for the course. I like to think it was like Brokeback Mountain, but with a mythical creature rather than a herd of cattle. And finally, after weeks in the woods, there she was, they say. According to Bob, one day they were posted up in the woods near a creek.
1: Roger's horse started jumping and lunging. There was a Bigfoot standing there, just on the other side of the creek from us. But it just immediately turned and started walking away. Well, Roger, by then, had got his camera out of his saddlebag on his horse, and he was up running across the creek there. He hit the other side of the bank and stumbled and kind of fell down on his elbows. And that's when it made that famous head turn, is when I stepped down off the horse.
0: To this day, scientists, movie makers, special effects people, costume designers, and professors have debated whether or not the creature in the footage is an actual Bigfoot or just a human in a costume. And no one has been able to put the myth to rest. If you've listened to this podcast before or have ever gotten drunk with me, you know that my expertise is weighing in on things I have no real knowledge of or familiarity with. My mother used to cite fake studies and spout made-up facts when trying to win arguments. It usually worked. There was no such thing as Google back then. I mostly know better than to state facts. I just weigh in with my generally uninformed opinion. With such ferocity, I usually win the fight. Either that, or there's a really awkward silence before everyone turns their back on me and walks away. I'm so lonely. Anyway, when I first saw the video, I scoffed at it. Everyone knows there's no such thing as Bigfoot. Obviously, it's a tall person in a costume. But here's the thing about researching, something I never do for anything other than this show. It sometimes presents you with actual facts and information that make maintaining an opinion hard. It turns out in the 50 years since that footage was released, no one has been able to definitively debunk it. The first question is motivation. There's always a reason someone sets up an elaborate hoax. Usually, of course, it's for fame and fortune. Roger Patterson immediately started traveling the country, showing the film to whoever would screen it. It didn't create the stir he hoped it would. Most animal experts dismissed it out of hand as a hoax, but Patterson didn't care. He just kept hawking his wares. It wasn't until he caught the attention of folks at the BBC and made a deal to include his footage in a documentary that he made any profit. I don't know what happened to the actual documentary, but Patterson was able to use it to get more attention and press on the footage. We really don't know how much money he made from this deal, but the estimate is around $75,000, which is nothing to sneeze at. Bob Gimlin, the friend Roger Patterson had enlisted to help him find and film Bigfoot, on the other hand, didn't profit the way Patterson did. Which, seriously, Roger, you literally could not have made the film without your buddy Bob. You didn't include him in your deal. Instead, he was plagued by people mocking him everywhere he went. They would screech into his driveway and yell taunts in the middle of the night. They would harass his wife at her job at a bank. He and his wife were miserable because of it. They almost split up because of it. Gimlin ended up telling people he regretted saying yes to the trip in the first place. Patterson died a few years after the encounter, so it's impossible to know what kind of impact the film would have had on his life in the long run. Suffice it to say, for Gimlin, there were far more cons to his adventure than pros. The people who think the footage is a hoax will point to the lack of actual evidence of Bigfoot. Other than these seconds of grainy footage, no one else has recorded a non-debunkable video. No one has ever proved that they've found Bigfoot scat or Bigfoot remains or Bigfoot dwellings. Plenty of people have claimed to have found Bigfoot evidence, but the official story is that any evidence found has been faked or belonged to a known animal. We've got a minute of footage and a bunch of stories. The most common thing the debunkers say is that it's a human in a costume in the woods, though others believe the whole thing was staged, including the woods. When Disney's chief of animation and four assistants viewed Patterson's footage, they said it must have been shot in a studio. That's a little, the moon landing was faked for me. I mean, it's not like a huge imposition to find woods in California, or, you know, many of the states in the United States. Why would you have to fake the woods? And besides, Patterson and Gimlin were not wealthy men by any means. No way these two would have had the money for such an elaborate production. And there's never been any evidence that anyone else provided the financing. So can we all just agree that real or fake the thing was actually shot in the actual woods? Great. Okay, so what about the creature itself? The same year this footage was shot, the first Planet of the Apes movie came out. The costume and makeup design for Planet of the Apes was considered so outstanding that it was nominated for a Best Costume Oscar and won an Honorary Oscar for Outstanding Makeup Achievement. The costumes and makeup in Planet of the Apes were considered to be examples of the absolute pinnacle of special effects technology, and it is still very obviously humans in monkey suits. And that movie was made for $5.8 million. By contrast, you guys, the creature in Patterson's video looks really fucking real. Like, way more real than the million-dollar Planet of the Apes costumes. So that's just worth noting. One guy did eventually come forward claiming that Patterson had paid him $1,000 to dress up in an ape suit for the footage, and another guy claimed to have sold him the ape suit. But all of this happened 40 years after the incident, and neither man was able to produce any proof. Jeffrey Meldrum, an anthropologist who teaches anthropology and anatomy at Idaho State University, points to a bunch of the creature's anatomy, as shown in the film, to prove that it's not a person in a suit. Among other things, he points to the way her muscles move under her skin, in particular her back muscles and calf muscles. The way her calf muscle tightens and flexes as she walks is something that no one has been able to achieve to this day with a costume. The way her foot bends in the middle suggests a joint in the midfoot more similar to apes than humans. Most humans can't bend their feet in half. And yes, I am saying her because it was determined that the Bigfoot in the footage is a female, I don't really know how, although with my uninformed layperson's eye, it does look like she has ample breasts. And yes, I know men can have breasts. Let's stay on track here, kids. Even poor, tortured Bob Gimlin has come around. If you were to ask him today, he would tell you that he knows what he saw in the woods that day in 1967, and it wasn't human. He now speaks at Bigfoot conventions, which BTW are more common than you would think, and is considered almost sacred by true believers. I suppose one could argue that he's benefiting financially now from the film, and so he could be lying, but I don't know. He's a cowboy in his 80s. At home in Washington State, he's still treated like an oddity. If this is a long con, it's a piss-poor one. Meldrum, the anthropologist, isn't the only respected person who believes the footage captured a real live Bigfoot. Other science-y type people have weighed in, saying their own analysis of the film leads them to believe the creature is not human, whether it's because of the anatomy of the creature or the near impossibility of faking the footage itself. So there it is. More than 50 years after Patterson and Gimlin went public with the footage, and it's a draw. Plenty of people don't believe. Plenty of people do. No one has been able to debunk it. No one. And people have really tried. Not even the FBI can dismiss Bigfoot. They have a Bigfoot file. They'll tell you that it's because someone asked them to analyze a hair sample that was said to be from a Bigfoot and that their own analysis found it was deer hair. But the FBI has been known to tell us a lot of things to cover up what they don't want us to know. You don't have to be a wacko conspiracy theorist to know that. They are the preeminent experts on nothing to see here, folks. Respected scientists also believe or are open to the idea of Bigfoot. Sir David Attenborough, who has explored every nook and cranny of this planet and told us about every creature on it with his Life on Earth series, he believes. Dame Jane Goodall, the beloved primatologist who has studied primates in the wild for decades, has said she can't rule it out. Jane Goodall, you guys. That's kind of enough for me. Look, I get that Bigfoot seems like a far-fetched thing, and we all know I'm eager to call bullshit on a lot of things, but... What can I say? It's been over 50 years and no one's been able to explain it all away. It's not like flat earthers who believe despite actual science. It's not like anyone has been able to say, here is how they faked the footage, or have been able to recreate it. People still believe the footage is real because no one has been able to positively prove otherwise. The disbelievers have one thing going for them, of course. Lack of physical evidence. No bones, no hair, no poop. But, of course, a lack of proof doesn't mean that there's no proof. It just means we haven't found it yet. And along those lines, I'd like to add this final thought. We call Bigfoot a monster, People who claim to have had encounters talk about how terrifying the ordeal was, but what exactly has Bigfoot ever done to deserve this characterization? If anything, it seems like most of the time she's just trying to scare people away or doing her own goddamn thing without a concern for us and what we might think about it. No one ever reports her running toward them or throwing anything at them. When they do report seeing her, she's usually just kind of standing there or walking through the woods. Maybe the reason no one has been able to gather actual evidence of her is because she just wants to be left alone. Maybe she's just trying to live her best Bigfoot life and raise her little big feet in peace. Maybe she's sick and tired of people tromping through her woods trying to get evidence of her. Maybe she goes home and says, I saw another one of those tiny pink ape like creatures again. It was awful. It had some kind of weapon pointed at me and was yelling. I knocked some trees to try to scare it away. And maybe, possibly, her Bigfoot partner says, What are you talking about? Tiny ape-like creatures? (laughs) I don't believe you. Where's the proof? Next time on Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan, the lost colony of Roanoke. How is it possible that a hundred people could vanish off the face of the earth without leaving a single trace? And how can it be that over 400 years later, we still don't know what happened to them? We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet— Go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. This episode was written by me, edited by Claire Smith-Marish, and researched by Jess McKillop. Our voice actors this week were Ryan Garcia and Luther Creek. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. Our episodes are mixed and edited by Jennifer Swatek. If you like our show, help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUPod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. If you're enjoying our show, check out all the Obsessed Network shows, including Crimes of the Centuries, a deep dive into historical crimes hosted by award-winning journalist Amber Hunt. Find Crimes of the Centuries wherever you get your podcasts.